Because if it came into the room and made a laughing noise, there would be a mark-shaped hole. <laughs> Does it come in and go, I'm going to get you. Hey, maniacs. Hey, maniacs. Oh, I'm so excited this week. Midsummer Maniacs <laughs> is a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week we dig, get it, dig, into oh. an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. I'm Mark. I'm excited, Sarah. <laughs> and if your children can handle being disemboweled on a bloodstone. They can handle the podcast. They can handle the podcast. Okay, we're getting this out of the way right up front. We got some guests. Mm -hmm. They're super cool. Mm -hmm. There's two of them. They're going to be on in a little while. And I'm excited. Okay, so we're going to do our <laughs> maniac business here. We're going to cover our maniac part of the episode, but they have special knowledge special areas of expertise yes. related to this episode yep. that we'll be drawing upon and having lots of fun with. Yep. But first, we're going to take care of our typical maniac business regarding the episode that we're talking about this week, which is season 14, episode 5, Sleeper Under the Hill. 86, filmed in 2011 uh, and broadcast in September uh, 2011 on the 21st. 5.83 million views. Directed by Nick Laughland, Laughland, the land of laughter. <laughs> Laughland. And written by David Lawrence. <laughs> and we're in Midsummer Mow. Apparently, they got a lot of grass to mow. Or I don't know. Anyway, we've never been to Midsummer Mow before. Nope. So, this is a druid circle where they find a body, they blame the druids, they blame the poachers, and it's none of those people. Uh, nor is it. The Eleanor, who they call Super Bitch. Yes. It's not Super Bitch either. Yeah, like uh, the Eleanor part and the fencing part has <laughs> less to do with this episode than Anything cicadas. Else. <laughs> oh, man, speaking of cicadas, just as an aside, we are in Indiana where Brood 17 has emerged. I don't remember the last time this happened. And if you don't live in the Midwest, you've never experienced this weirdness Everybody's talking about, oh, it's going to be awful. It's like, it'll do hearing damage. It's so bad. And I'm like, nah. Well, in the last couple of days, they have started to emerge. It sounds like a constant car alarm around our house. It does. It, it, it's. I'm amazed great. our mics aren't picking it up. No, well, I checked before. Yeah. But like, we've got soundproofing up to prevent it. And wow. But there's another room of the house where I do audio stuff, and I can't use my microphone with, during the day. They're big, nasty bugs with big red eyes. Yep. And they're so dumb. Yes. <laughs> they are. They'll just climb your leg while you're standing outside. Luckily, they don't live very long, and they don't bite or anything. But wow. And a psychotic policeman. Psychotic. Okay, so you're pulling me back and talking mainly, about the episode. Mainly. <laughs> the most upsetting point of this episode, even more upsetting than the rotary dial phones, which I noticed and like, of course, but even more upsetting is the fact that he kills the dog. Yeah. It's so upsetting. 
It is a you feel bad for Jago. Now, that dog is out of control and is about to attack somebody. But psycho cop overreacts. This is why some people should not have guns. Yes. As soon as he gets one in his hand, he's, he's like shooting everything. Shoot a dog, shoot a farmer. Luckily, he's only got two bullets. Otherwise, who knows who else would have died. But anyway, we should go through okay, this in yes. a little bit of okay, order. Okay. Right? Okay. A little we bit of order. With the order. The order. Okay. So, yes, the the very beginning of the episode, there is a body on the stone in the middle of a stone circle called Crow Call Circle. There are crows. The person who's been killed is Alex Preston. He's been hit over the head and then disemboweled on the yes. stone. Yes. And we get our brand new coroner, Kate. So the thing I love about Kate is Kate does not succumb to the trope of Boy, a lot of people die in weird ways around here. She just is like, she's been briefed. Yep. It's going to be strange in midsummer, and there's going to be weird stuff. And she's just like, okay. I like her immediately. Yes. She's, it's, she's like one of those people that, like when you make a new friend, and they immediately get all the jokes mm-hmm. and have similar jokes, and you're just like, you're one of us. Yeah. She's one of us immediately. Absolutely. We do get some levels of tension between Jones and John in this episode that are interesting because there's one part where Jones doesn't pick up his phone, and we'll get to it, where he feels very bad and is sort of in trouble with Barnaby. And then, But then later, when he's defending Trevor, the policeman... Trevor's his friend. He, and- he gives it a back a little bit and stands up. I thought that was a good scene because it was character development in the sense that Jones doesn't just go, okay. Yeah. He's like, no. No, wait a minute. And when you're doing exposition, it's so much better than to debate over that exposition rather than... To show rather than to tell. yeah, Yeah. Right? If you just do that exposition with no debate... The reader is the person doing the debate, but Jones and Barnaby take place take the place of the viewer here in that argument. Well, it could be this, it could be that, it could be this. Yeah. Like, that makes it interesting. And then there's that damning piece of evidence of the blood. Right. The new Don Druids are framed for this murder because one of their symbols on a piece of jewelry is found at the scene. It's called an Awen. I, I got to tell you, I like their robes. They're nice robes. They are nice. She robes. has one in her living room. Yeah. Amongst other things. That we'll, <laughs> Letitia, get to. we'll talk about Leticia's living room. Yeah. But they're very nice robes. But I don't like they lie on the ground. They're going to get stains <laughs> on those robes. They should be green if they're going to do that. Yes. But they're white. They're like an ivory color. Yes. So the Awen um, is, it's three beams of light coming down from three dots. It's an actual symbol in Welsh and Cornish and Britain. Breton, Awen is the word for inspiration, like yep. more, for, more for poetic inspiration, but it's the light of inspiration. It's sort of the equivalent of um, a muse, this, a symbol for like the muses. Yeah. And it's kind of like drawing a sun with rays off of yeah, it. Yeah. 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 So they're framed, right? Because there's been a murder and it's on the bloodstone. So it must be a sacrifice. You know, those druids are always up to something. Yes. They, of course, immediately go, no, 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 no. We don't do that stuff. That's not the point of what we do. I and- love that they break into the farmer's farm 
Yeah. And Jones falls on his butt and yeah. Barnaby basically laughs at him. Because they're looking for Alex Preston's wife, Eleanor, because they need to tell her that he's dead. And of course, she's going to be an immediate suspect. There's blood on a win- a broken window okay, at the house. There is blood everywhere in that bedroom. <laughs> There's blood That's three before they feet get on in. the wall. <laughs> but you know what? I don't know why. I don't know because either. Because in the recreation of the crime, he bashes him on the head with a hammer and then drags him out there to the stone and guts him there. No, apparently he bashed him a whole bunch of times. He must have pulverized the back of his head. Again. This, why? This... I don't know. Cop is psychotic. Yeah, yeah, he's he's psychotic, and and we'll get to why we say that. But yeah, so Jones is supposed to break down the door, and instead he flies right through it because it's already open. And when they ask Trevor, Sergeant Trevor Gibson, I just call him Trev. Trevor, um, Sergeant Trevor about it, he goes, "Yeah, it was probably those druids wearing sheets and talking gibberish." Yep, he just throws them right under the tractor. The yeah, boom, boom, all four wheels right over. So the Druids are represented by Letitia Clifford, is her name, and Ezra Canning. Yeah. And Ezra's a regular farmer. Yep. Who is a Druid. He's got a ton of junk. He does have a ton of junk. What is up with farmers and all that junk? I've known lots of farmers that had junk like that. I mean, I realize you've got machinery that breaks down and stuff, but you'd think scrap metal people would be around there to say, hey, you want to get rid of that? I had barns full of it. There's when hardly I was a kid. any room for him to move his tractor around. Yeah, when I was a kid, there was barns at our house that had it. Well, he's of course he's ready for them. He's yeah. like, yeah, everybody blames the druids, but yep. we didn't do it, and we're tired of you blaming us for it. Letitia's a bit more nuanced about it. Well, she is a fancy sitting apparatus. Her whole house is interesting. Yes. But she and John sit and drink some tea. Yes. It's nettle and, oh, what does she say it is? Nettle and hartshorn tea. Now, they and they drink in the same glasses that Poirot uses to, to drink his... Yes. His, the glass uh, mugs with the silver bases. They're yeah. beautiful. Yeah. But the chair they sit on is interesting. It's like an S-shaped chair. And you may have seen these in period dramas because they go back all the way to like prior to the Victorian era. And the whole idea of these chairs, they're called conversation chairs. Yes. Or love seats. This is where the term love seat comes from is these chairs. I didn't know that. The whole idea is that two people can sit very near each other and have a close conversation now one's facing one way, but they're the facing other's... opposite directions, and there's an arm in between them. Yes. So there's a limited amount of hanky panky that can happen because of the way the chair is made. Yes. Right. So they're called conversation chairs or courting benches. Yes. But they are also is another version called a chaperone chair, mm-hmm. where there is a third seat. Oh. Where the chaperone would sit in the third seat with his or her back to them, but would be able to hear everything they say. And in the middle, I'm assuming. Well, it's in a triangle. So yeah. no, they're equidistant from each okay. other. But yes, his or her head would, the back of their head would sort of be between between the the other people who are sitting in the other seats. They're also called gossip chairs. I can see that. Because they get, get, they get kind of close in this chair and gossipy. You, well, and you are close to one another, closer than you would be if you were sitting normally with somebody that you didn't know. Yet it seems to be okay because there's this arm and because the way you position yourself in the chair, you're sort of leaning away from them, but looking them in the eye. Yeah. But 
two interesting things about conversation chairs. One, Napoleon loved them. Okay. Well, he loved the chaperone version. Okay. Because he thought they were specifically useful for intercepting gossip and information. Okay. So when his government offices were in the Louvre, he uh, distributed chaperone chairs throughout. Oh. They were everywhere. Yes. And encouraged his ministers to sit in the third seat and overhear anything they could, even if it was two other ministers talking and giving away things they shouldn't. My. So that's interesting. The other thing is that when we get to the end of this and we see Singer's you know, underground lair full of art. Yes. One of the things we see is a telephone with a lobster on it. Yes. And that's an actual, it's a recreation of an actual piece of art by Salvador Dali. Well, Salvador Dali also designed a conversation chair. Now, was it a surrealist? No, it's a real piece of furniture. It's pink velvet. Oh, it's beautiful. And along the S shape of the arm is this gold arm that ends with a hand on each end. Oh. So if you were sitting in it and you had your arm up on the arm of the chair and your hand kind of at the end of it, you would be holding hands with the chair. I love it. I love everything. It's beautiful. I love everything, Dolly. He's fantastic. Yeah. But that's the conversation chair. So that's about Letitia's sofa. But there's something else in Letitia's living room that we see in this scene and we see later in the scene when her body is found that we, dear listener... Need your help with. So she has a number of interesting pieces of art. Yes. First of all, there are Mexican paper squares. Mm-hmm. Those little They're flags. usually Day of the Dead things. Yeah. There's also a, a painting of a bunch of people in a forest around a bonfire. Mm-hmm. That's actually a beautiful painting. Mm-hmm. But then there's a weird one. Yes. It's about the same height as the bottom of the upstairs railing. So when you see the Saco team upstairs dusting and stuff... If your line of sight follows the bottom of that upper floor over to the wall to the left, there's a painting on the wall. And we'll put this in the show notes because... We'll gosh. put a picture of it. It looks it looks like yes. a person in a skeleton suit yes. leaning over the prone body of a nurse or, or a maybe princess. a princess. She has a wand. And there's a big jack-o'-lantern. Yeah. It's a crazy picture, and I want to know more about it. I definitely want to know because more about this picture. I really like it, but I, I don't know what it is. I searched forever to find this picture, and now my Google search is broken because I have <laughs> skeleton assaulting nurse prone jack-o'-lantern folk art painting midsummer. Nope. So if you recognize that painting or if you recognize the style and you think you might know who the artist is, drop us a line because I'd love to know more about it. It's in the show notes. Letitia tells Barnaby all about ley lines because she and Ezra are interested in understanding the position of Crow Call Circle in relation to ley lines that they say cross over in this area that make it kind of an area of power. Which are related to these three other churches. The location of churches. I'm not, I, I don't understand that. Why church, the position of churches would be important considering they're built wherever the money is. But anyway, ley lines have kind of a different connotation now in terms of like earth energies and you know, supernatural kind of things. Yeah. But initially, when um, Alfred Watkins came up with the concept of ley lines, that's not at all what he was talking about. As Craddock Singer tells you. (laughs) Yeah. 
this rough voice. What he was talking about was that if you took a map and you put all of these ancient Neolithic sites on it, you could draw pretty much straight lines between them because the people who built those places would have traveled between them in the shortest line possible. Yeah, which makes sense. Which makes sense. But it also, as he was an antiquarian and an amateur archaeologist and a photographer, he used pinhole cameras in all kinds of crazy ways. He's a very interesting guy, Alfred Watkins. But the reason why he thought they were important was that they would help us identify unknown Neolithic sites. That makes sense, too. Because if you track these lines, you would see... Oh, well, that line would lead to that place, but there's a long span in between it. Perhaps there's another site along there that would be important. Time team needs to get in the helicopter. Time team totally needs to get in a helicopter. Absolutely. But what I found most interesting about his ley line theory was that not just anything would count as potentially being part of a ley line. Okay. So he had this list of sites, of kinds of sites, like yeah. stone circles, barrows, standing stones, roundhouses, that yeah. kind of thing. And he had a scoring system for oh. them. So you, things could be worth from a quarter of a point up to a point. And if you could draw a straight line between sites that added up to more than five points, that could be considered a ley line. Oh, that's fantastic. It's very interesting. Yeah. That's... So there are like low-value ley lines that connect a bunch of kind of low-value places. Yeah. And then there are ley lines that connect high-value places because they're like, here's a stone circle and here's a henge and here's a big round, you know, here's a big monument thingamabob. And this is Those really the beginning points. of... Landscape geog- landscape ar- archaeology. Landscape yeah, archaeology. environmental archaeology. Yeah. That's pretty much what he was doing. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's really interesting stuff. And you can see a list of those uh, and the scoring system online. All of his writing is now online, of course, because it's 200 years old. So he's out there. But speaking of Mr. Letitia thinks that she's found something, right? Yes. Because what she's noticed is that this line from Long Bladen to Barton Halt to Midsummer Mo doesn't actually go through the stone circle at Crow Call. No. It's a little bit off. So maybe it points to something else. Yes. And it's the Kingstone, where she thinks there's going to be a horde. This whole episode is about the search for the horde. Yeah. Both the modern horde and the and the other horde. Yeah. Well, Singer's, singers horde, horde, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's underground. The, like, there is a... A parallel, uh, a between, parallel though, between those two. Yeah, things. between this ancient Anglo-Saxon horde and Singer's greed horde. Yeah. <laughs> His underground greed lair. And there's a whole scene in the bar, but of course, I don't care about that scene. I care about a poster in the background, which is airport contention. <laughs> it's a promotional poster, though, right? Which is a real band. The yeah. real band that appears later in the episode. Yeah, like we, a real world band. We will put videos of them in the show notes. Yeah, they're playing there in Breakspear's pub. Yep. And that's who's playing when Jones doesn't hear his phone ring. And Breakspear Brewery is a real brewery. But they still have Costin Ale beer mats on the tables. They do. And on the taps. I did notice that. And well. Budweiser. Yes. There's a lot of Budweiser. That's the out first in time I've episode. noticed Budweiser yeah. in a midsummer. Absolutely. So who calls Barnaby and tells him to go out to the circle because somebody's out there messing around? Well, psychotic cop. 
So you think it's Trevor? Yes. Okay. So Trevor calls John in the middle of the night. Yes. John rushes out there. He's trying to call Jones. Jones isn't answering. Yes. He sees who he thinks is Jago, Jago because Jago's a poacher. Yep. He puts a disemboweled rabbit on the bloodstone in the middle of the circle. For what reason? To point the finger at Jago. Yeah. It's really Trevor. Yeah. Right? Yep. So Trevor calls and says, hey, somebody's out at the circle, and it's me. Yes. And I'm going to put a... <laughs> A rabbit up there and then run away. Well, there's two things in that scene. One, Barnaby's using technology to find out about the world of druids, Mm -hmm. including their discussion forms and druidic values. That's all on the website. But, you know, druids are used as a scapegoat in in this episode. And it's unfortunate because... Those people have some nice robes. They get murdered. They get framed. And they don't hurt anybody. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. All they wanted was access to a historical site. Yep. And you know what? I think if they had just talked to Alex Preston, he probably would have said, I need to keep my field safe, but I'm not going to go anywhere near those stones. And I'll put a gate in. Yep. If you don't trample my crops, you can go out there. When when I went on my strange vision quest in Cornwall on a bank <laughs> holiday weekend, which is a wrong thing to do, every time I found one of those rocks, those stone circles or stone things, the farmers always came out to talk to me. Yeah. They were always more than welcoming. And probably had a gift shop. <laughs> but I have a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. I have a problem with our school system. Okay. Because in Canada and in the United States, there is no sixth form archaeology class. No, I know. Where was that class when I was in high school? I didn't get to do an archaeological dig because, wow, did I want to be an archaeologist until I was in my senior year of high school. And that was only because between my junior and senior year, I went away to a college nearby for an archaeology camp. And yeah. it was me and a bunch of other nerds getting really sunburned. It certainly wasn't a class. And we didn't get to find some Celtic brooch clip worth $5 million. It certainly wasn't a class. We found evidence of uh, some Native American fire. Like, we found charcoal. And we were like, yay, <laughs> charcoal! Woo! I didn't know about Time Team then, but if I had, I would have been like, Tony Robinson, I found charcoal. <laughs> I found evidence of burns. So, and... Barn, uh, Jones is at the gig. It seems weird to people, but the the gig, the people playing the music are right beside the people standing watching them. There's no stage. There's no separation. They're just like off to the, in a corner. I've played gigs like that and they are really tough, but. Like, I guess you get used to it, right? You get right? used to it. You but can't like, move around very there's much. There's a lady listening to them who's really close. Yeah, she is. Like she's maybe a foot in front of the singer. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a big band too. They got what five? They got a drummer, a fiddle player, two guitarists, a... and a bassist. Yeah, so six. It's busy. Yeah, Midsummer needs to invest in some new flashlights because the flashlights they have are for crap. Oh gosh, it's like a pin light. Yeah. So Singer is Caradoc uh, Singer is the local historian, and he claims to be the authority that they can go to. And they, and they do use him as a resource until they start to suspect him. Yeah. But he's feeding them what he wants them to know. Yep. And he says that that circle is a burial site. 
Yes. Right. Which is rare. Like Stonehenge has burials at it, but it's nowhere near the Stonehenge part. No, they're around the outside edge. And it's more about this is an important place and this was an important person. Yeah. It's not, this is what we do here. This is what this place is built for. Yeah. Right? That's, it's not, that's not the purpose of the site. Barrows are more for... Barrows. Yeah. Yeah. Barrows are, they're, they're big hills where you bury people. Yeah. Yeah. But he says that it's near this Battle of Hallows Beck. Yes. Where the Anglo-Saxons fought the Norsemen. But it didn't happen. Okay. There is no Battle of Hallows Beck, as far as I can find. Everybody in this episode knows about it, though. Yeah, like it's just a thing. Like it's a Battle of Hastings thing. But, so they act like it's Anglo-Saxons versus Vikings. And and that's who the battle was was between. But then they talk about, like, the end of the pagan religion because of this battle. Yeah, there's all sorts of weird stuff. As if Norsemen were the pagans yeah and that was the end of it but in reality and didn't it wasn't it the romans that got rid of the druids not anglo-saxons uh, it, uh, and and the norsemen sort of had their own sort of druid kind of people yeah. maybe a little bit maybe. but the thing is is that there was no definitive battle in this place no at that time with that name the the closest thing that they might be referencing is this battle of i'm gonna say it wrong because it's Welsh, but the name for the battle is Winwed. Okay. Which was in 655, where the last of the Mercian kings fought the last of the Anglo-Saxon kings. And basically, that was the end of Anglo-Saxon paganism okay. in Britain. Okay. And this is, relates, of course, to Sutton Hoo, too. Right. But the Norsemen were not involved, as far no. as I can tell. There were no Vikings there. But the the sword pommel that they show yep. is a Viking sword pommel. Yeah. Like clearly. But you know, who knows? I don't know. This episode has a lot of we were talking about this earlier. It has a lot of um weird reality like where the the universe of Midsummer pulls in stuff from the real world. Like the Budweiser cans, like the band that's real. Yeah. Like, but then there are other things that are from the Midsummer universe. Like this battle that never happened. I have a question, Sarah. Yes. It's a deep burning question inside of me. Okay. Why have we not talked about fencing yet? (laughs) Because it doesn't matter. The fencing cheating spouse will Eleanor does not need to be there. The whole thing can go away. There's only two reasons for fencing to be in this episode. One, we get to see John Barnaby fence. We do. And it's actually him. Yeah. I watch real close. Oh, I watch close. Because I wanted to see. Yeah, he His must face have is fenced. hidden behind the mask. He must have fenced. He probably did it in community theater or Something. some stage thing where he had to learn how to do it. And he does a pretty good job, as far as yep. I can tell, as a non-fencer. Um, and the other reason why fencing is in this episode is just to drive home, if you didn't already know, that Eleanor is a snob. Yes. But do they have fencing at country clubs in England? I don't know. I've never been to a country club. Certainly not the Coston Country Club. I, I think it's completely possible. It's possible, but uh, they don't have it here. That's for sure. They have it on campus. There's a fencing club There's at the university. There's a fencing club at university. Now I understand that. Yeah. But the so then you graduate, and then where do you go to fence? The Y. There. 
No, you go to the country club. Yeah, there's no fencing in our country club. Not that we're members or anything. If we're not members of a country club, they wouldn't have us. Are you kidding? The other thing that's interesting about the fencing scene, as with all the bar scenes, there's lots of mirrors. Mm -hmm. Now, I think they probably have mirrors in the fencing room as an actual thing so that you can see how people are moving on both sides. Like, I can see you on this side. And and a room that size might also be used for dance classes. Could be. Because it's a big, long, empty room. But remember... That scene in which there are two people fencing, there is at minimum half a dozen or more other people in that room. Yeah. Cameramen, when that's happened. mics, the lights. director, audio. Yeah. And light. yet they're all off they're shot. They're all off shot. They, are they like backed up against a wall over to the side to stay out of the mirror shot? Mirrors are a nightmare. And you, you, the director is making a conscious choice to put all those mirrors in there. To go look how good it I ma- am. Well, it makes it look, it makes the scene more immersive. It creates more maison. Ooh. <laughs> Which means? The scene. <laughs> more of the art of the scene. Yes, yes. It does. It makes it more immersive. We get to Singer's house and... He has a painting. Well, John looks in the window first. I love how both Barnabys are unapologetically nosy. They don't care. They're like, I'll look in your window before you know I'm here. I don't care. I'm a cop. I'm going to do it. I'm going to look. Whatever. Yeah. And he sees Singer watching himself on TV and in front of a painting behind Singer in a video, and he puts it in the vault because yep. it's going to be useful later. Yep. And it's this episode should be called The Narcissist and The Psychotic Cop because that's what they are. Yeah. Singer is criminally, homicidally narcissistic. Yes. And the cop is psychotically psychotic. That's his only motive. He does not have a good motive. He, he wants some money. He's a How? pawn of Singer, and Singer's motive is not enough to push somebody else over the edge who isn't already homicidal. To do the following. Remember, he does the following. He beats a guy to death with a hammer. Yes. And then disembowels him with sound effects. In After the... dragging him across two fields. With sound effects in the retelling. Yes. <laughs> he stabs to death an old lady... Ten times. Yes. Okay. Overkill. Overkill. And then carves a symbol in her forehead. Carves a symbol in her forehead. Frames two other people. Shoots a dog and shoots a farmer's tractor. He is out of control. He's lucky that Canning isn't dead. He shot right into the cab right at his head. Yeah. So lucky. But he didn't always act that way, I guess. I guess not. Because Jones thinks he's a good cop. So he must have been a good, solid guy in the past. What happened to him? He saw one gold brooch and lost his mind? I, that doesn't happen. I don't think so. The other thing about fencing I forgot to mention was the dramatic head uh, helmet taking off. Oh, you have to take your mask off every 30 seconds. Most, most incredibly dramatically. So anyway, this Picasso painting in Singer's house. He says that it's a fake, but yeah. it's a really good fake. Yeah. It is a... Uh, some kind of copy of an actual Picasso. It's got the word cafe on it, but what's the name of it? So the the name of the picture is Le Pigeon au Petit Pois. The Pigeon and the Peas? Actually, it's the Pigeon and the Tiny Peas. And the Wee Peas? And the Wee Peas. The Pigeons and the Wee Peas? Sometimes, it has the word cafe on it. Sometimes referred to as Dove with Green Peas, 
which would be Vertpois. Do so, you see a pigeon in that picture? I do. Okay. I do see a pigeon. Okay. Is but it the, outside a cafe? Yes. Because <laughs> it has the word cafe yes. written on it. <laughs> so the conceit of this episode is that that picture... Is actually a Picasso. Is an actual Picasso. Mm-hmm. Okay? The interesting thing is this picture got stolen in 2010. The real one was stolen in, in 2010. They do not, The whereabouts remain unknown. $123 million I picture. know where it is. Yeah. It's <clears throat> over Django's head in the rain! Yes! <laughs> I like Django. I really did. And then he put the Picasso over his but head. But you know what? I think it's I think it's poetic. Yeah. He breaks into his house. He takes some liquor and some food and this thing that he knows is important to him yep. and uses it to keep himself dry. I, I think that's poetic. I think Singer deserves it. Picasso doesn't deserve it. The world doesn't deserve it if it was a real Picasso. But Singer deserves it. <laughs> yep. So Trev frames everybody, kills Leticia, frames Ezra, kills, um, he killed the farmer, then he kills Leticia, and then he freaks out. He, then he's like, oh, maybe I should leave. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. Uh, what? What? They know. They know about the ley lines. They're on to me. Like, they know that it's not the circle, that there's something else. Yeah, because Barnaby totally gives it away. He does. Intentionally. But Trevor's a bad liar. Oh, Trevor, Trevor is a bad person. I mean, I know that small town cops know everything, right? If you're good and you're a constable in a little village, you should know everything. Keep it to yourself, Yep. but know everything. Barnaby walks up to him, and he's like, oh, yeah, I saw Eleanor in Costin last night. I just happened to see her car. I know it's a completely common car. It's not like an unusual car, but I saw it. And I saw Ezra driving on the road about a half an hour later, so I must be really fast. And I'm everywhere all the time, so I saw that. And, uh, you know, like, wait a minute. He's just and, and like Barnaby before they catches- even know who the body is, he's like, "That's Alex Preston. I bet you the druids killed him because he was going to plow this field and they don't like it." And Barnaby calls him out right away because when he says that Ezra was on the road, he goes, "Is there any? Where's that road lead to?" And he goes, "Crocall Farm. Does it lead anywhere else?" No. No. Then why were you on the road? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe because you just killed somebody. Hmm. But but then there's the problem of his motive. Which is, he's suddenly greedy as soon as he has a chance for money. Why? He has a house that is probably paid for by the cops. And it's nice. He has a complete police station with house attached that is just his. Plus, police toys. We'll get to that. <laughs> Creepy police toys. And I a woman know. who cleans the police station. Pad. Paddy? Paddy. I want to know how he gets around. Yeah, he doesn't have a vehicle. Well, he does have a vehicle. But it's a police vehicle. Yeah. So people would say the police guy was over there doing that police thing. People dying in broad daylight or like when Singer kills him, kills Trevor in broad daylight, like that's supposedly in the middle of the village. (laughs) Yeah. I can sort of understand how that happens because the police station is kind of built like a compound. Like there's an inner courtyard. There's mega big fence around it. But Singer would have been covered with blood and water. Well, no, he just whacked him on the head and he was, I mean, he didn't pulverize his head like Trevor did (laughs) Alex. But 
and and I and I'll give Trevor Letitia because she lives in the village, so he could probably creep over there in his black outfit, yeah, and kill her, and he wouldn't have to drive. But Crow Call is outside town, yeah. So he would have to drive his police vehicle unless he's like riding his bike or something. I don't know. And there's another part where I I meant to bring this up where Barnaby says, uh, "I'll meet you there at the farm," and he's at the farm. Yeah, you're already there. So the whole Eleanor Aiden plot, we've already said it's unnecessary. Yes. She's a red herring. Yeah. Because she is a greedy, nasty person. And it's almost... And she does have a motive. It's almost to the level of the writer being mean to a woman. Just because, oh, we can get back at this woman because she's... Like, it seemed oddly specific and personal. If, if Alex Preston had not been married, it would not impact the plot. No. If Eleanor... Had been nice. Had been nice, it would not have impacted the plot. If Aiden had been nice. If Eleanor had been sorry that he was dead, but didn't feel that way about him anymore, but and felt we've like... we've seen that wife You know character. what? I should have told him. We should have split up a long time ago. I'm really sorry he's dead. We, we've seen that character. Yep. She could have been that, but instead, she is super bitch. She's very nasty. She's mean to everybody. She dismisses Aiden as like a piece of trash, even though he clearly cares. She's unnecessarily nasty to people she doesn't need to be. And then we find out that he's written her out of his will. And there's this whole gotcha thing. And we're supposed to be like, "Mm, yeah, see, you got it. So there. So people have died. Uh, Yeah. Like, who cares that some nasty bitchy woman doesn't inherit anything? Okay. Yeah. Anyhow. It's as... It's people as have non- been disemboweled. It's That's a, important. It's as unneeded as the Jago fungus eating scene. <laughs> well, I think in other episodes, characters like Jago, who kind of live off the land and are sort of outside of society, can be very valuable because they see everything and nobody pays any attention to them. Yeah. So I think when he's, you know, eating the mushrooms and stuff, we're supposed to see this is a guy who can be everywhere and nowhere. Yeah. And he has no motive to hurt anybody who's not trying to hurt him. He and the guy from the other episode uh, who has the fox. Yes. Could be buddies. Who does the taxidermy. If they weren't. Yeah. Not, not the guy who does the taxidermy. The oh. guy who says it's not a right thing. Oh, yes. Okay. When, when Superman tries to. Yes. Okay. To make out in the car with his friend's mom. Um, If they weren't both loners, they could be buddies. Yeah. Right? So then everything gets forgotten as Trevor dies. We find Trevor's body. And everyone knows at that point it's Singer. Why does he put him in a water barrel? I don't know. Like he could have He hit someone on the head. Why not just hit him a couple more times on the head and then he would be dead? Well, I think think he hits him once on the head. And that knocks over the scary police clown toy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that scares Singer. Because he's not a killer. Into going insane and putting him in the water. It's not really my kind of thing because I'm sophisticated. I'm not a killer. You know, I don't usually bet. Well, I, I like to gamble occasionally. But I would easily pay the actor who played Singer $50 to lift that character who plays Trev. From the house into the water barrel. Yes. Yeah. I don't think he could do it. 
I'll give you 50, but I'll give you 100 pounds. Maybe head first. Maybe. If he put him in head first and held his feet. Maybe. Maybe. But not he was, just holding him He down. was semi-conscious. Yeah. You could have tipped him in, held his feet. He would have drowned. And then you could have kind of like bent his legs down a little bit. But he puts him in feet first, like loading a kid into a high chair. Yeah. And that's hard to do with a kid. Never mind a full-grown adult. So then Barnaby tells him that the archaeologist, the time team, the local time team. Yes. <laughs> midsummer time team are going to go out and find whatever's buried there. Mm-hmm. So he goes out in the middle of the night to discover the hoard. Singer is not good at hiding that either. Even though he's facing away from John when John says, oh yeah, the, the Midsummer Archaeological Society is going to come out and do a dig. He turns and he's like, and um, uh, when, how, when, how when, soon when are they coming? Because <laughs> he's drooling. Yeah. And poor Ezra, who is legitimately upset when he hears about Letitia. Oh, he's so sad. He's heartbroken. His eyes get all teary. Does such good acting. That is such good acting. Ezra's out there probably coming to terms with Letitia's death. And Singer is just about to kill him. Like, he's like, get away from here. He's ready to kill him. Ezra goes out there to do the ceremony that they were going to do. I think so. Yeah. As As a way of grieving. Yeah. I'm surprised he doesn't have the other druids with him. Well, they all have alibis. And plus, <laughs> they only appear lying down. <laughs> because when, because Jones says he talked to the other druids and they were all kind people. Yeah. I would think they would all be equally upset. Yeah. And since there's nobody there to stop them from going to the circle, they would have all gone out and said, we're going to do the ceremony that was so important to us. In Letitia's honor. Letitia is a loony with loony art, but she's a nice lady. She's not hurting anybody. Nope. Nope. Nobody. Nope. She likes what she likes. She's into it, and it's not hurting anybody. Nope. So then, again, like... My notes say, Trevor's got a hoard in a cup. Because <laughs> he does have a hoard in a cup in his living room. Yeah. <laughs> um, then... Like the episode with the bride, Barnaby takes him home to interrogate him. Now they're aware that something is up they, in his house. They need him to tell them where the secret room is because they know now that he's got a secret room. Yes. And if he, even if he's not going to tell them, just by his body language, they can see when they're getting warmer. Yes, because he also is a horrible liar. Yes. Well... <laughs> People like that, people who are that nar- nis- narcissistic, I almost said narcissistic, narcissistic, um, never entertain that somebody who they think is below them will ever figure them out. Yes. So they're not, no, they're not good at hiding things because they don't need to. No, no. But when challenged, they, they are in utter disbelief that you little peon have figured me out. They can't hide it. Hubris is a sin. It's a good hidden room. It is a good hidden room. They have a locksmith come and push open that door and turn on all those light switches. Who put those in? He did. He must be an electrician and a world-renowned thief. Yes. How did he get all that stuff? That's my biggest problem with the episode. I don't... Even if he was super, super wealthy and had them stolen for hire, he could not afford them. No. Like the Picasso alone. Yeah. 123 million. That 
Dolly lobster phone is at one. That's millions of dollars too. Yeah. There so, is a bill. There is easily half a billion dollars worth of artwork in that room. Yes. Even though that kiss is not the kiss. No, it's way too small. Yeah. It's not a Klimt. So is he like a retired, world-renowned cat burglar? That would have been a more interesting storyline for them to put in than fencing and <laughs> Eleanor and Super Bitch. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> just talk about how this painting that is a fake was also stolen by the creeper too. Yeah. Yeah. The pink Panther, whatever. Yeah. If there had been some like, Oh my gosh, not only did we solve these murders, we found the art thief that the world has been looking for. Dude. Yes. Because at one (laughs) point Craddock says he owns those. Yeah. And if he does own those, he doesn't own them because he bought them fair and square. No, he owns them because he's in possession. There's of no them. way he can own those fair and square. No, no, no. And plenty of people who would have been involved in their theft that would have ratted on him a long time ago. And then we have Miss Barnaby Time Team. That's not how archaeology works. No, it's not how digs work. Digs work. That's not how schools work. That's not That's how, not how you... cops work. No. <laughs> That's not how stealing works. You know what it is? It's yeah. how midsummer works. Yep. And that's why we love and it. And it's fun and it's <laughs> goofy and it's fun. What's the deal with Trevor's creepy clown cop? So that creepy clown cop is a toy that was made in the 80s. I'm going to put a video in the in the uh, show notes of a person who par- purchased one at a Goodwill. Uh, it doesn't make the laughing noise. It's just a statue? No, it, it moves. It has wheels on its bottom. Oh my gosh, that's worse. <laughs> and its hair goes out and in, and its head, its hat goes up and down. Why does its hair go out and in? Because like the hat goes up and down and the hair goes in. Did they make it in other like other clowns and other outfits? No. They're all police officers? It's one it's a police officer. He has a radio. He has handcuffs. It's weird. I don't want one of those in our house. No. God, no. If it can move and it has handcuffs, I don't want it. It's a strange toy to give a child. But it doesn't giggle. No. It, it's it, it's just clockwork. No, it, it makes a noise, but it doesn't make a laughing noise. Okay. Because if it came into the room and made a laughing noise, there would be a mark-shaped hole. <laughs> Does it come in and go, I'm going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> Oi. I'm going to get you. So that's... The main part of the episode. And now, let us introduce you to our guests. I'm so excited. Okay, folks, we uh, are ready to reveal our guests now, which are the fantastic. The They're literally setting the podcast world of fire in England currently, which is <laughs> the lore man. <laughs> yes, James Shakeshaft and Alistair Beckett King, welcome. Hello. We, do, Hello. we do have we have two listeners in Syria, so it's not just England. Um, yes. I've seen the stats. We, hey, we, we were in the Hung- We've just we've only just dropped out of the Hungarian top two hundred comedy podcasts <laughs> released on a Thursday. You're, you're, you're listening to some of the funniest people in Hungary. Who aren't in Hungary. I don't know. I don't know. It's Hungary, but I don't know if that's a different place to Hungary. Are we in the top 200 of a fictitious Tintin state that you yes. just made up? 
<laughs> I didn't make it we're, up. We're, we're top 10 in Moldovia. I think we're probably in the top Hello. 10 for women over 65 who listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. nice. So by being on our show, you will break into that demographic. And that is a key demographic for the folklore. Definitely. That's Definitely. what we're aiming at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So. I, sh- I should say, for the benefit of the listener, I'm Alistair and he's James. Yes. I think we sound quite different, but if you, you, if do. you don't know who we are, that's who we are. Yeah. I'm this from voice the north is of James's England. voice. Oh, that sorry. voice is James's voice. I have red hair and I'm from the north of England, slash half Scottish, and James is from the south of England, also known as Midsummer Murders Ville. It's not yes. known as that, but it's where all the Midsummer Murders is happens. Yes. You're it's lucky to all, be alive, James. All the places prefixed by the word Midsummer are all around here. As I've seen, they that they have they run out of suffixes for Midsummer because I've seen this one we're talking about today is in Midsummer Mo. Mm-hmm. There's Midsummer Abbas. There's Midsummer Overworthy or something. Midsummer Worthy. Midsummer Worthy classic. Oh yeah. yeah. There's a ton of them. And then there's the, the, the weird towns first. like Badger's Drift. Badger's Drift. They do, they though, do, don't they? they? Oh, so this is why we do a podcast, James. We both did the exact same joke at the same time. Yes. But that's there's the no thing. apostrophe. <laughs> so it's Badger's and little cars around the corners. Oh, no. I thought if you got too many Badger's, then they form drifts. Oh. oh. <laughs> like like you're going for the... For the two badger, two furious vibe. I was thinking, like, yeah, like veering to the left. That's what yeah, I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, yeah, Like just <laughs> slightly wobbly badger. No, they're they're piled up around there. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> some badgers. And they get out of the pub and they get in their little cars and they mm. they drift over the bridge in town. So. Yeah, on two wheels. They're a free spirit. You just stop can't trying contain to the badgers. Yeah, stop trying to contain a badger. Stop trying to peg peg a badger down. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> So, sleeper under the hill. Yes. What, Who it, was the sleeper under the hill? Uh, King Arthur, maybe. It's always is it King all of Arthur, us. Isn't it? I think it's all of us. I think it was the friends we made along the way. Yes. <laughs> all that rabbit. The guy yeah. at, who's dead at first is clearly on top of the hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh and no, that's, wait. Uh, the, the treasure. It must be the sleeper under the hill. Oh, I was going to say, guys, that, that's not sleeping. That's, <laughs> that's being dead. Yes. Gutted. Mm, absolutely gutted, mate. Yeah. Gutted the, for you. The sound effects in the uh, the recreation are fantastic there. And <laughs> I, I do want to tell you that we, we've been over this whole episode already previously, so we are spoiler A-OK. You, uh, could, so you could spoil a little bit of it for me decade. because I, first of all, I, I'm in a tricky position because I, I want to come in and say out, out of the gate that I completely guessed who the killer was. But on the other hand, can't really remember why he did it. Because I'm a bit confused. <laughs> That's because he so, has a really lame motive. His motive is that he was tricked into doing it by a bigger boy, I think. Yes. And yes. so it's um, Gibson, Sergeant Gibson, appears on screen. And uh, and my girlfriend, who I was watching it with, immediately, he has one line, which is like, oh, well, I'm investigating. And she said, he did it. He did. And I was already <laughs> pointing at the screen as if to say, he did it. Nobody has ever so obviously done it in the history of murder mysteries as that guy who who's just what is it about him? Why is he so obviously the killer? Well, and he immediately has an explanation for everything. Yeah, right. Mm. He's like, oh well, the druids probably did it because you know they're they're going to plow this field and that's made them very upset. And here's their address where you can find them. Yeah, I just thought he was very conscientious. You didn't. <laughs> you didn't. He was new on the job. He's trying to make a good impression <laughs> with his old mate from police school, police squad. Uh, yeah, police academy. 
academy so, that's the one so how how uh rare are these little one person police stations in villages like is this a a thing that still happens or is this a rarity my, it's my, rare yeah it happened my family uh, in scotland they live up, up the road from the police station which is a tiny little house with a policeman in it i think there might be a second <laughs> policeman who maybe drops <laughs> off milk and uh, food and stuff but in in small areas they do have resident police you know for the for the wicker man situations and that sort of thing <laughs> as and when they arise they uh, ride a bike in... and say wee wee <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah if there were money for a bike yes that's probably what would happen mm. yeah if there's money is, for is a bunch of repair kit noisy pedestrians is what they are for the most part <laughs> well this guy definitely has problems with motive because he has he has a house that the cops provide he has a cleaning lady who he basically shushes out of there. And he has that fantastic cop clown toy that falls at the end while he's getting murdered. Mm. And like, like, did you guys notice that creepy thing? That? No, is it, I didn't. Is it they're like a dramatic close up of it? Because we can't see him being yeah. um, killed. In, I, actually, it's the most common type of death in southern England drowned in a barrel <laughs> in a water mm. butt yes yeah mm. so we probably we shouldn't joke about that because it's happening day in day out down our yeah way. yeah yeah we we like big butts and we cannot <laughs> swim <laughs> and how often do people get like druid symbols carved into their foreheads is that common oh. bi-weekly oh, basis yeah every other day basically if the druid carver if the druid head carver's in town it's rude not to <laughs> But having having said that, I think he was obviously the killer. He wasn't the mastermind, and I can't remember why he did it after watching it. I, I the mastermind was the guy with a really unappealing knockoff of. A, I didn't. This is how ignorant I am. The art guy has a Picasso, and I said that is a terrible painting. It's got the word <laughs> cafe written on it. That's the kind of thing you would hang in a coffee shop. It's awful. Not realizing <laughs> that the entire decor of coffee shops is based on that painting by Picasso. But it is also a, a not very nice looking knockoff of the real Picasso, which is in the show supposed to be, I think, the real painting. Is I think, it? I think it's yeah, used to the real one. Chaco uses an umbrella. I know. That's the, that's the tra real tragedy. Forget the murders. But if you're going to use a painting that you want to sell as an umbrella, hold it the other way up. Yeah. Don't hold it painting side <laughs> out. Because also, Jago's the... not the smartest one. Jago doesn't even know how to have a window. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he knows he knows the right mushrooms, and he knows how to sit in the forest and look at things. But that's mm. about it. Oh, and he's got he's also got two barrels or two choices, depending on how you want to look at it. <laughs> Did Gibson shoot his dog? Yeah. I yeah. hate yeah. that bit. Unnecessary. That's, yeah, really. If you hadn't, if you hadn't twigged shooting. that it was him by then, or before he tried to shoot the druid to stop him driving a tractor, which is <laughs> not. That, I, I, have, I don't have any police training, but I think that's not that's non-standard, especially since it's a slow-moving vehicle. When you shoot the tire, also, what, yeah, what, what, anything with a shotgun that you just found. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, we should explain. We're British, so the police, as standard, don't carry guns. So it isn't no. them and just wildly shooting off into the <laughs> middle of nowhere. That doesn't happen as often here. So, um, so to us, that sticks out as a weird thing. You Sergeant need a whole Gibson gets point. a gun and he just can't help himself. He has to shoot it. Yeah, I, I guess like his police shootings in America are to like uh, druid forehead carvings in England. I guess it's like that kind of a situation. <laughs> to butt drownings. 
<laughs> to butt drownings. I really liked um, Gibson's explanation when he rocked up at the field to shoot at that druid. He was like, I'm just cruising the lanes looking for Jago. Sounds like such a euphemism. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. I'm cruising the lanes looking for Jago. Luckily, I left one up the spout. Yeah. <laughs> He has he has two bullets and he just has to use them. The poor dog. And then, yeah, I mean, Ezra is just driving his tractor. Now, granted, he's trying to run Jones down with his sprayer contraption what? or whatever. It's, a, it's sort of a, it's a landbound version of that scene from North by Northwest. Yes, where the crops, but, but it, a little bit easier to evade yes. than uh, run like sideways. Yeah, go sideways. Version. Like they were doing it, but like the the Wright brothers just before they worked out how to do it <laughs> yeah. yeah a pre-flight edition of that scene what um what was ezra's reason why was he trying to run? i didn't understand why he was trying to run over jones i don't know either and then he has an actually really great scene where he's told about his friend dying and he has shows them hmm. real emotion and i thought his performance was really good in that scene not hmm. to be overly complimentary about the show but I Jones thought goes outside. That, he elevated like, that scene. Yeah. Jones goes outside and is like, oh, that was some good acting. Yeah, that yeah, was. <laughs> yeah. I, I did that. That is one of the lines that always appears in these sorts of shows. And it is so never accurate. You know, it's all, <laughs> the guy's like, I didn't kill my wife. And then they go to one side behind the one way mirror. And then they say he's either the best actor in the world or he's innocent. It's like, <laughs> there is no way on this show's budget that he's the best actor in the world. But <laughs> on this occasion, he actually did a pretty great job, I thought. Yeah. And I think Canning's motive is just like, OR, why are the cops always after us druids? We never did anything wrong. You know, like, here they are again, going to bug me. Yeah. You sacrifice one human. And, <laughs> and they're on your case all it. the time. Mm hmm but that's the thing. The druids in this episode are really nice people who are concerned about a, a structure that they want to preserve and ley lines. I know. Yeah, to be fair, they have a great point. I mean, the ley line thing, not so much, but you shouldn't plow over a monument. No, no, no. you shouldn't plow over an unrealistic prehistoric monument. Yeah, so. that was very thin stones yes. to still be standing. <laughs> Their These, phone you know, budget was small, not I the, think. Not the toughest druids. They got very, very small stones and they, they propped them up. He was clearly driven insane by his fencing wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, the the fencing subplot. Mm. <laughs> mm. I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of fencing as a sport. Uh, it's just There's just a general air of poshness that surrounds it that I don't approve of. Mm. Um, would that be something that actually showed up in a country club? No, that that bit where it was it sort of panned across like some people doing some exercise, some people returning for tennis club into a room where people were playing playing fencing, <laughs> fencing, the sword type, <laughs> not building a fence, mm -hmm. which is more my type of countryside. Um, they, uh, I don't know, I don't think that exists. We, we figured the whole subplot with the um, dead guy's wife with Eleanor was just mm. an opportunity to um, uh, shame or embarrass a posh lady, mm. a kind of a mm. bitchy posh lady. I think Jones calls her super bitch. Yeah, he really, really relished telling her that she was written out of that will at the end. That didn't seem like the appropriate time or place to announce that. I, th I sort of would have thought you'd do, you don't do that sort of thing in public. Just shout, you're not in the will anymore. While she's getting ready to whack her ex-lover with a cane. Yeah. Is that the time to tell her? 
there's no real reason for it either. Like it mm. doesn't affect the plot or anything. It's none of your business, James. <laughs> now, am I right in thinking that um, that I'm going to call him New Barnaby, Barnaby mm. Two? That's okay. Uh, this yeah. is like his. He's fairly new. So he, he and Jones both new at this point. Have they just arrived? Jones isn't new. Oh, Jones but has been there for Barnaby a while. Two is new. Right. Because well, electric about... boogaloo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, the secret of the ooze. Mm. <laughs> um, there probably is a river called the ooze somewhere in. There is uh, the there yeah. is the ooze. It's in the southwest. Yeah. There you go. The that river would be perfect. Ooze. They could do that. They could do the boogaloo on the ooze. <laughs> I, the, I I was about to complain that these guys are. They are the least quirky detectives in mm. the history of detective fiction. And I was about to sort of complain, they're just sort of two bland white guys. And then I remembered about our podcast, James. <laughs> and so I thought, I'm, I'm going to play down the angle of, um, why are we interested in these indistinguishable duffers? But um, at the yeah. start, I was thinking, like, I was hoping this one, like one of them's got a yo-yo or just a quirk, just something. Like, I think the whole yeah. episode would be better if Jones had been trying to learn the yo-yo throughout as a little humorous <laughs> subplot. It, they just, they don't bother with quirk. Every other detective's got a quirk, and Neil Dudgeon's quirk is that he is a professional police officer who tries to solve crimes. <laughs> that's his own. That's it. He, he can fence. Can he? We learn. He, sort he, of. He, he can handle well. a sword a little. Yeah. He can um, get backed into a corner. He overestimates his fencing ability. That is true. Yeah, he can. Yeah, he can brag about fencing. I thought for a bit his dog was called Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a quirk, but it's not. It's psychsy. It's like Psych right. Uh, I mean, you're really does... stretching the word quirk there. It's yeah. um. <laughs> so you called your dog what? what? <laughs> he does mention Sexy. men do yoga, and he does do yoga in a future episode. Men do yoga. Oh, so yeah. he, like his character arc is learning to do yoga. Is that his? Everyone else has yeah. got a drinking problem or like P PTSD yeah. from the war. Or like his thing is bit not that flexible. Just trying to get a, into, mm. a, into a downward dog. Not very bendy Sorry, with my not, sexy not, dog. Not, not his sexy dog, obviously. <laughs> completely different. <laughs> that was an un unintentional slur on, on John Barnaby. Yeah, he's no Columbo, you know? If you took one of those quirky, like, Norwegian noir detectives and put them in Midsummer. I don't think they would know what to do with themselves. We, um, is this now time to say that I actually do live in Midsummer land? Yeah, so what's that like? Are there Midsummer tours that go past your house and stuff? I haven't ever seen them, but there's a picture of Barnaby 2 Electric Boogaloo holding the Guide to Midsummer Land map. And I think you can do tours with him around and with about. The actor. With, with, with the, the actor. actor Neil Dudgeon. Yeah, Dudge. <laughs> The Dudge Meister. The Dudge, sir. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dudge Master General. And Dudge. Mm. Yes. That's a stretch. <laughs> That's good, though. It's a good stretch. It's like a man can do yoga. <laughs> I mean, I, I just imagine that there are like, um, you know, old family houses and churches and stuff, and they just tour them and go, this is where somebody got bludgeoned with a croquet mallet, and here's where yeah. somebody got forked to death and here's the hotel uh, where somebody died in a dryer yeah and this is there's that, that dog barnaby tried to have sex with <laughs> <laughs> there's that dog that barnaby thinks is sexy <laughs> yeah, yeah no, there's once that you've place. seen the dog though it's it's really understandable it's a sexy dog <laughs> there's that place martin mccutcheon got trampled by a parmesan I yes mm, a big wheel of cheese 
Big wheel of cheese. That episode is coming up for us. Oh, spoiler alert. Killed by cheese. Fell on her ginormous cheeses. Yes. She got cheesed. (laughs) I I see why they don't like the druids, though. I really took against Letitia Clifford, the druid lady, because of her sofa setup. You don't like her conversation sofa? No, no, not at all. That that is a horrible (laughs) business. That that deserves to be nowhere outside of an art gallery or museum. Can you explain it to me, James, so I can picture it in my mind? It's the scene where she's having nettle tea with... Sounds horrible already. Yep. uh, With Barnaby 2, Electric Boogaloo. And they're basically sat next to each other, but facing in opposite directions. It's 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 like she got it from Ikea... And she put it up and got drunk halfway through and then just like, <laughs> I'm going with this, actually. But like facing the opposite directions, like they've been, yeah. like when you're tied to a chair, if you're yeah. kidnapped and you're back to back. No, no, no but side to side. side, to side. It's a courting oh. couch, so it's shaped like an S. Oh, I see. So there's an arm between you so that you can't get too close without a chaperone seeing, you mm. know. Ah, so the I couch thought l- lures you in and then says, no, no, no. no, no yeah, no. so you sit on one seat, your sexy dog's on the other. The dog's on the other, yeah. Facing yeah. the other direction so nothing can happen. No hanky-panky. Yeah. Mm. I, mm. I thought you would have mentioned her art because her art is spectacularly strange. There's a picture <laughs> in the background of a man in a skeleton suit on top of a princess on the ground with a jack-o'-lantern in the sky. Normally, I mean, that's a classic inversion because normally, in a way, aren't all skeletons in human suits? (laughs) (laughs) I would drop my mic here, but I haven't got another one. Yeah, and he's either attacking a princess or a nurse. We can't tell. Mm. <laughs> it's a very strange painting. I'm, I'm, I miss this painting somehow. <laughs> I was too busy staring at the bloody sofa. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't you want one of those sofas? No, 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 thanks. Okay, I'd well, like a normal sofa where we can both watch room. the telly at the same time, <laughs> as opposed to one person watching the telly and then having to describe what's happening on the telly to the other person. <laughs> the person is facing away from it. Yeah, yeah, they found him in the butt. The, the policeman has shot the tractor now. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's and happy also... he left one in the spout. <laughs> this is also, I think, is it um, the first appearance of the um, uh, pathologist, Kate? Oh. Is yeah. that her? It seemed like she'd just appeared. And now she's got a quirk. Her quirk is she's a bit sarcastic, which is yes. not a huge quirk. It's not a huge quirk. And really, I have yet to meet a pathologist who isn't quirky. So mm. my, I objected to Barnaby being not quirky enough, but it's impossible to find a pathologist who isn't wearing a bow tie with like mm. a squirty flower that squeezes you with water telling inappropriate jokes mm. while they ought to be doing the business of weighing someone's liver. And it's well, how so they I, cope, right? I guess it's how they cope. And they've clearly prepped her because this amount of murder in three days in, <laughs> in your little village uh, would probably cause a stir or a disturbance. She's very unfazed throughout. Yeah, she's like, oh, this guy was gutted. (laughs) (laughs) What's the, is pathologist the British name or is that the American name? What what's what's that job called in America? We would call him a pathologist or a coroner. Coroner, that's what I was thinking of. Quincy. Quincy. Yeah, call him a Quincy. Quincy. That's just, it's like Hoover. It's the, yeah, it's the brand names Mm. become synonymous. Yeah, it's Kleenex Uh, for for coroner. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Quincy. 
Mm. Yeah, she's the new Quincy uh, and she fits right in immediately. We do find out later that she's very, very messy. So that's her second quirk. Yeah, she's got two. She's sarcastic. She got two quirks. How can she have two quirks when Barnaby doesn't have a single quirk for 20 series? They give them all to one character. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Jones Barnaby, original Barnaby, Barnaby one, not Mm. electric Lulu. Yeah. Had a wife who didn't know how to cook. That is not exactly. No, she was a, quirk. a very bad cook. Mm. Oh, quirky. That's di- that I mean, not to say it's it's the wife's responsibility to be good at cooking, but you need to be good at cooking. One needs to be good at cooking in the countryside because there aren't very many takeaway options. Mm. And there's no delivery. And certainly with the telephones that were on on display there, they did not have smartphone technology. <laughs> There's a lot of rotary telephones in this episode for sure. There's sort of two ways of when you're watching these old series, there's two ways of telling when it is. And mobile phones are one of them. And the other is if it was shot on film or not, because all of these series look absolutely fantastic until about 2007, mm-hmm. 2006, 2007. And then they all switched to digital video, which wasn't good enough yet. And I think we're we're post switch here. Or Although like, it comes out it comes out looking okay, I think. It's not as charming as it was in Net- Nettles' era. Mm. <laughs> well, that, and you can look at the computer equipment in the cop shop. Oh, yeah, the size of the monitor. Yes. The other, uh, the other good indicator. Mm. They end up with these giant CRT monitors that take up like two desks for one monitor. They're just massive. And actually, in their office, Barnaby and Jones, they've got a, a sort of courting couch setup where they both face opposite walls. Yeah. Which is very, it speaks of a poor working relationship. But there's no desk between them, so they can turn mm, and be within kissing distance. (laughs) That's true. There's no chaperone. Jones committed the the quirky sin of going to see a band at a pub. So yes, yes, I I enjoyed the folky band. The folky band's the real the real band. That that is a real band, and there are posters for the real band in the pub. They have a weird Mm. name. What's the name of the band? Train contention. Airport contention. Airport contention. Airport oh, were they contention. a fairport convention knockoff? <laughs> I would have to think they would be. They, they must they be. have a bearded I'm, guitar player. So I'm glad you worked that out, James, because I was like, that sounds vaguely familiar. But <laughs> wait a minute, I there's a band called Airport Convention. Fairport, fairport convention. convention. Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I. Yes, the the founder members live in a town near here. Of Fairport Convention. Of Fairport Convention. Oh, I'm so confused. Yeah. I mean, it's you're basically in a Barnaby Barnaby situation here. Yeah. Aren't you? Like they're, I, the, they're basically indistinguishable, but, but one of them is a lot better. Mm. <laughs> but really, how far is anybody from anybody there? Yeah. Not far enough. Come on, James. It's small, isn't it? Oh, it's small, but then there's there's stuff in between, and it just takes a long time to get around different places. Isn't that because the roads are wiggly? They're very wiggly. I don't know mm. why they wiggle, but they, they have do. to go around all the stone circles. Yeah, and the bunny <laughs> yeah. drifts. We wanted to ask about your stone circles that you must have in your backyard. Oh well, which ones you want to talk about? My favorite ones or my least favorite ones? <laughs> <laughs> Which one's spookier? I always like the Rollwright stones. They're the ones that I grew up with. Um, and we used to go up there and look at them quite a lot. Um, many a night in sort of September. Is it September, October when the, what are they called? The Cephaliads or whatever, those comets that you see at that time of year yeah. going over. We'd always go up there and do that. Genuinely, that's not made up. 
Um, my least favourite, though, is Avebury Stone Circle, which is the one that's got that's around a village. That's the one yeah. from Children of the Stones, the 1970s yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, TV series. Yes, it's got, I think there's two churches within the Stone Circle. One of them's like pretty much in the middle and there's no legends about it. And it's a bit like, what's going on there? Come on. <laughs> yeah. You're Just more make something up. Robes, yeah. Are you saying that they built the stones themselves or are you saying that they're just keeping quiet about the true purpose of the stones? I think they're keeping quiet. Yeah, no, I don't think they, they put them up themselves to be some sort of tourist trap because they were actually quite literally a trap. They moved one reasonably recently and there was like, oh, there's a body under there. <laughs> what? Yeah. Really? An old body from, from of the time, not like, oh, okay. not a recent one that was inserted. It was more that when they moved them or when they put them up, someone got caught under. Oh, it wasn't just like, it's the butcher. <laughs> well, I was speaking to him this morning. How'd he get under there? He's mysterious. Sure there's Call the most boring man. Avebury. I think they, they did a time team dig there and didn't find oh, anything. They must have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's got no history. Too quiet. That's suspicious, isn't it? It's yeah. too quiet. It's like, but that hmm. means that Tony Robinson is in on this too. And oh, goes, oh, come it on. goes all the way to the top. You know well, Robinson's not in that to his neck. <laughs> the, the other question is not have. that high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a standard stitch. Uh, so at the end of the episode, uh, Barnaby's wife and her school children are doing this world-renowned international dig. What, what, is this something that happens in grade school? You guys just let sixth graders do archaeological digs? I thought they said it brilliantly where she she mentions earlier in the episode, my archaeology class. And, and by, <laughs> so by the, and I didn't notice that. So by the time they're doing archaeology at the end, you're like, yeah, that's the archaeology class from earlier. <laughs> mm. uh, I, d I don't think we ever did a dig. Did you ever do a dig? Didn't even have drama in my school. <laughs> Really? <laughs> Didn't even do drama. No. Oh, like the lesson, not Couldn't like. Couldn't do GCSE drama. Yeah, oh, no, the, oh, there was drama. Of course oh, there was. Big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't involved season. in any of it. But, yeah. Conquer season or snow season. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Dog on uh, the playground. I just figured there's so up. many historical sites that, you know, you just let anybody dig them up. Just whatever. <laughs> people do discover hordes. Uh, mm. Like, people do stumble across them. It does happen. Yes. Detectorists. Yes. Detectors. Yes. Style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't call them and metal detectors. They get upset with you. Mm. Detectors. They. Yes, and and it's a it's a group of people that you absolutely would not want to upset. The detectorists. <laughs> no. uh, a group of burlier and more intimidating men you're never likely to meet. All right. Um, so can I tell you my story? Yes, oh, please. I just wanted to shout out for Karat Karadak Karadok Karadok singer the Karadak Karadak. He's the sort of person that looks up folklore, films himself doing it, puts it on the internet. I like this guy. You know what? <laughs> I don't think he's all bad. Is this a time where we can promote our YouTube channel as well? Um... Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, do that was just one mistake. Folklorists have an underground lair full of multi-million dollar artworks? No. James has got a shed. So how does he get yeah. all that stuff? How does he get that? Those there's easily half a billion dollars worth of artwork in there because there's like Salvador Dali's lobster telephone. I think like people that's famously in a museum. People would people are aware of where these artworks are. It's hiding in plain sight. He's, he's, he's like a he's cat burglar or something. Yeah. Mm. Well, he is the body for a cat burglar. T totally. It's better than a dog fancier. <laughs> <laughs> True. 
So did you say that you had a piece of folklore for mm. us to to rate using the uh, the official lawmen rating system? Yes, TM. I do. I do. About about uh, Karatek. So oh. when I heard his name, I was like, what is that name? I've never heard Karatek as a name. It's a Welsh name. Oh, um, I thought they like the... I thought like the towns, they're run out of human names as well as town names. <laughs> they just no, throw James, some boggle dice down. people are technically and... human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the original Karatek is one of the Knights of the Round Table. Oh, um, not one of the big ones. Yeah, but, but mm. how he gets there is, is kind of crazy. So uh, Karatek, who is the Knight of the Round Table, is actually Karatek Jr., Okay, so Karatek Sr. was one mm. of those kings before there was, you know, the king. Mm. Yeah. So Karatek II, allegedly. Yes. I Karatek see Senior. Karatek Jr. as more a sort of radical sort of 90s baseball cap backwards kind of a mm. teen, teen yeah. Karatek. Totally. Like young Einstein, young Sherlock. Yeah, exactly. Those sort yeah. of young Indiana Jones Popeye and Son, that kind of thing. Well, his, his mother, um, so there, there's an evil wizard whose name is Alaris, I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll call him Alaris. Mm -hmm. Alaris is in love with Karatek Senior, uh, Junior's mother. And so puts a spell on his dad to make him confuse farm animals for his wife. Hey, that happens all the time around Midsummer. To distract yeah, him. Yeah, we've all used that excuse, come on. Yeah, while the wizard seduces, uh, Isan is his mom's name. So then, so Isan gets pregnant and gives birth to Karatek Junior. Right. Oh, so the wizard is Karate Junior. Yes, dad. he does know it. Mm. Right. So when uh, Karate Junior is older and is a knight, the stranger shows up at the court and says, "I challenge you all to a beheading contest." What? I know. He says, "You behead me, and if I survive, I'll come back in a year and I get to behead you." Mm. Nobody wants this is... to take this just... deal. <laughs> Go ahead. I. I, I, no, I was going to say, sorry, this is this is also the plot of uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. The same thing happens in that. Yes. But, uh, not to imply that Karadak ripped it off his much more famous friend. It's, probably, it's more likely <laughs> the other way around, that Gawain went, oh, you know that thing that happened to you with the beheading? Yeah, well, my famous beheading story. Yeah, it's mine. Yeah. It's gonna go, it's gonna <laughs> he go stole it off one. of me. Yeah. Yeah. But Maybe in that's... my one, the guy is green. So I think people will remember that more. <laughs> well, this one is an evil wizard in disguise. So well, I think I'm get I'm guessing I see now why no one took him up on the bet because they were all aware of the tale of Sigawain and the Green Man. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> so Karadic Jr., though, he takes him up on it and he cuts his head off, right? Oh, Karadic Jr. But the wizard just puts it right back on mm -hmm. and says, see I'll be in back a in a year. Right. When he comes back in a year, Karatek Jr. is like, fine, take my head off. I've been expecting it. But the stranger, who is the wizard, just hits him on the back of the neck with the flat of the sword and says, I need to talk to you. So he takes him over to the side and he says, surprise, it's me, the evil wizard. Oh, and I'm your dad. <laughs> Oof. This is classic, classic bad dad behavior. Yeah, Absolutely. Dead, learn learn to talk to your son's dads. You yes. don't have to challenge them to a beheading contest, disappear for a year, come back, whack them on the back of the head with the flat side of the sword, and then spring a revelation on them. Well, not mm. only does he says, I'm your dad, but he's like, oh, and I tricked your dad into having sex with farm animals. That's how Which I became your dad. wasn't a necessary part of the plan. No, he could have just got <laughs> There are so many other things he could have, he could have been roller skating. There are so many <laughs> things he could have done. So many other things he could have tricked him into having sex with. 
I guess it's the, it's the thing, something that will take the length of time it takes to have sex. But there are other things that take that amount of time. <laughs> yes. You know, so uh, Karatek Jr. Is, is not impressed. He's, he's upset with all of this, mm. right? So as a punishment for the wizard, they decide that he should suffer the same embarrassment that Karatek Sr. did. So they force the wizard to have sex with farm animals. Okay. Mm. I know. It's a crazy court. These poor farm animals. I know. <laughs> I hope they were what did they it? do wrong? Hopefully not the same farm animals. But, <laughs> but the evil wizard just accepts the punishment like, yeah, well, fair's fair. I don't know. Maybe mm. he likes cows. Yeah. I am a crap dad. So yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I live get by I the get. sword, die by the sword, live by I'm... tricking people into having sex with farm animals, yes. die by trick being tricked into having sex with farm animals. So yeah, then... I get what well, he came up with the idea in the first place. That must have come from somewhere. That's mm. true. I mean, you know, it's just fair play, right? Mm. So to punish his mother, though, for having been part of this, he says she yeah. has to be banished to a tower and she should never come down. And they think that's going to keep the evil wizard away from her. But in reality, the evil wizard can get into the tower whenever he wants. And they make so much noise up there that the neighbors complain. <laughs> what kind of a tower has neighbors? Yeah. <laughs> What's How the point of being up? a princess in a tower if you've got people next door? Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose they, they've got to let out the other layers of the tower. Oh, yeah. Come on, yeah. you can't have a whole tower, just one That's princess true. at the top. Somebody lives below with a broom. Shut up up there. <laughs> yeah. How is he getting up there? Is it because he is he having sex with a hawk and then sort of popping off at the right height? He's magic, James. <laughs> uh, yes. I don't know. So his mom is upset because even though her wizard boyfriend can still visit her, she's still stuck in the tower and she wants mm. to get back at Karatek Jr. So she says, Karatek, come up to my room. I need your help. And when he gets there, her hair is all messed up. And she says, I need my comb. Will you get it? And it's in that closet. So mm. Karatek goes over to the closet. And when he goes to get the comb, a snake jumps out and wraps itself around his arm and won't let go. Because giant snakes are common in England. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, and jumping is snake, something snakes are renowned for. I just couldn't believe that she couldn't get it for herself. Like well, there's, a, there's a snake in there. She has to call for her kid for across the castle. You're like, come get my comb. <laughs> I, I know I could reach it, but. You can... Yeah, exactly. Come I can't on. reach the remote. Ah. <laughs> so the snake latches onto him and it won't let go. And his arm starts to shrivel up, right? So his friend, his best friend and his best friend's sister decide that they're going to find a solution to get the snake off of Karatek's arm. And they go and see a wizard and the wizard says, I know how to do it. Karatek needs to sit in a bathtub full of vinegar. And the sister, whose name is... Gwimir, Gwimir needs to sit in a bathtub full of milk right next to it. And they both have to be naked. And Gwimir has to put her boobs up on the edge of the tub. Mm. So the snake, who doesn't like vinegar, will jump out and try to latch onto her and they can kill it. So the okay. snake does this. But when her brother goes to kill the snake with the sword, he accidentally lops off her nipple. <laughs> Kills the snake. It's I mean horrible, but predictable at the same time. Mm. I, I mean it was it was fraught with peril. That yeah, time. yeah. But that's okay because they replace it with a magical golden nipple. <laughs> mm. Cool. That Sir Thomas Mallory says is a shield boss. Mm. Oh, so, so like, you, on a round like a shield, of, the metal part in the middle, like a like a nipple based RoboCop. Mm. 
Yeah. Like a just nipple. I mean, cyborg. a shield boss is big. Mm. That's a big golden nipple. Well, obviously the brother had some problems with it. So. <laughs> He's not Snake so good nipple. with a sword. Snake nipple. <laughs> I can tell the difference usually. So um, they go on to get married. Uh, Caradoc and Gwemir get married. I guess he just, she accepts his shriveled arm and he accepts her giant magical golden nipple and they live happily ever after. Wow, what a first what? date. <laughs> this but, is why yeah. you don't bring brothers on first dates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he is known as Caradoc uh, Brief Bra, which means little arm. Oh, mm. uh, well, I thought that's something to do with he'd need a <laughs> particular type of bra because yeah, of, he needs so. a brief bra and she needs a not so brief bra. <laughs> well, half half normal brief, half normal bra, and then the other half would need to Gross be able to. Bra. Yeah, yeah. The other side, you know, a magnet might do it. I don't know. Um, yeah, and she's Gwimir Ufram, which means golden breast. So they get good nicknames after that. Oh yeah, yeah. Little arm and, oh, so, and gold breast. So it was all worth it, really. <laughs> in the end in the end and uh i just kept thinking of goldfinger you know that gold the, the song the gold finger you know gold nipple <laughs> but i'm broken right i'm i watched too much midsummer <laughs> so that's so, the story of caradoc so what categories do we have um uh, bad we nicknames. Usually, well, we, well, we usually do names supernatural and then, and then one or two other categories. Yeah. Um, mm. For the purposes of this, uh, it's up to you. Yeah. I mean, their names are uh, Caradoc Jr. Mm. Uh, or Caradoc Electric Boogaloo. Caradoc, yes. Caradoc Sr. Mm. Gwimir Golden Breast. That is good. That is a good name. It's accurate, which I'm a big fan of. Caradoc Little Arm. Again. So is the category bad nicknames? Because these are quite good nicknames. Are they good? I don't know. They're kind of mean. Oh, oh, yeah. No, the Golden Breast is quite cool. Mm. Yeah. If I'm introduced to somebody and they tell me that their nickname is Golden Breast, I I may talk to them a little bit longer. Yeah. You'd lean in. How did you get that name? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Right. Okay. Two bards. (laughs) <laughs> one of them's got vinegar in it. <laughs> Other one's got milk. Where's this going, mate? <laughs> and then my brother. Huh? Mm. What so did the brother the do in the Was he the swordsman? Yes. Yeah. So he oh. went to, he killed the snake and accidentally got her nipple at the and same also time. Nipple. I'm not right. sure why she needed to prop her breasts on the edge of the back. To lure the snake. What do we think snakes are? Why would that lure a snake? Isn't what? the milk there to lure the snake? I suppose the mammaries, though, are like... This all this milk came out of these. <laughs> you know, snakes love milk. Mm. Yeah, 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 reptiles yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah, snakes love milk, hate vinegar. Everyone That's, knows that. Like yeah. jumping. It's and like they, like ants and jumper. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll just we'll just call it names. So what do you think of the names? Well, the Welsh names are fantastic. I like mm. uh, Karadok. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like all the credits. What was the wizard's name? Alaris. Alaris. Hmm. Mm. That's I nice. have been picturing Alanis Morissette all the way through now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I now realize I've misheard the name, but still. Oh, did you think that he was having sex with those animals just being ironic? <laughs> <laughs> or did, what, did he have one hand in his pocket while he was doing it? <laughs> wow. And Gwimir is That's the, a good, um, is mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. girlfriend or the fiance and then the wife. 
she's the one who becomes golden nipple. I think it's high because because of the little arm, golden breast. Yep. Uh, uh, do you want to go classic double act? Four. Yes. I think it's a four. I yeah, four. I think it's a good four. Nice. Okay. Uh, how about a supernatural? Mm. Well, is the snake enchanted? That's the question. I that is leaps the four like a snake out of a cupboard. Is mm. the snake just a real snake or is it a magical snake? I think it's magical because it attaches itself to his arm and won't let go. And it causes it to shrivel, which yeah. a normal mm. snake bite wouldn't. Yes. Mm. So that's that's a strong point for supernatural. Uh, beheading is not supernatural, but the head coming straight back on, continuing mm. to hold a conversation is rare. That and is, he's yeah. a wizard. Being a wizard is rare. Being a quite. wizard is quite supernatural. A mm -hmm. wizard who has such loud sex that it bothers the neighbors. Mm. Well, that's he's standard been... for wizards. I'm not sure if that's supernatural per se. Well, um, and he beguiles the senior into thinking that farm animals are ladies. That's I pretty yes, another enchantment. Mm. Mm. Uh, that's pretty supernatural. And I... a, a gold nip prosthetic nipple. That's not typical, is it? I mean, I don't think I call mm. it supernatural. Okay. No, 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 no. It's How um, does it stay on. Uh, well, yeah, that's a good point. Mm. Sticky Super stuff? glue wasn't invented until what the 50s, 60s? <laughs> it's like a pasty. Mm. I think it might be like a pasty, yeah. Which is spelled exactly the same as the, the word pasty, the English food, which is really confusing to me. What's a pasty? Are, um, you know, I'm, I don't know if I should explain this. Um, <laughs> uh, it's what strippers wear on their nipples. The little, so they're not completely topless. You know, those sort of decorative little sort of golden nipple sort of ornaments that look a bit like a shield boss that <laughs> yeah. stick on their own right might have a tassel attached that's a pasty uh, until you pasty. said tassel james didn't know what it was <laughs> the right. reason i know this is there's a <laughs> there's a, there's a tom thought... white song called pasties and a g-string which is uh, like a like a sleazy name if you're american but if you're english it's like pasties and a g-string what mm, an evening <laughs> yeah yum, what yum. kind of pasty Delicious. is it <laughs> so when americans go to cornwall so when you went to Cornwall, yes, and you saw a Cornish pasty store, <laughs> yes, did you? Were you just baffled by what these Cornish <laughs> strippers' breasts must look like? If that's how they cover their nipples with this sort of basically a, a small conch, a small the, edible conch. In I'll the you, Cornish I... version, one of the pasties is savoury and the other one is sweet. That's the the unique <laughs> thing about the Cornish pasties. <laughs> I went in the door and uh, I did not get what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim Miners used to use them when they yeah. were there. That's apparently the origin. Yeah. yeah. So supernatural? Uh, three out of five, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've brought it. I've, I've been confused by the pasties now. Um, so that's taken <laughs> yeah, I, I away think a it lot. It would have been them. higher had you not tried to pass off a pasty as a supernatural device. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I, I think I've that's learned my a little warning. A little warning <laughs> shot across the bow there. <laughs> oh, okay. How about bad relatives? Yes. Oh, I've, oh everyone. Choppy bro, awful. Yep. Bad mum. Bad. Uh, no, actually, the dad is is the innocent party, isn't it? Except he's yeah. gullible to a spell, I suppose. Maybe yeah, not the, like maybe he's not so bright. He's bringing. <laughs> it might not be his fault, but he is bringing shame on the family. He is. Yeah. yeah. Trick me into having sex with farm animals once, shame on me. Mm. But trick me into having sex with farm animals several times, I shame on geese. The first time. I said, <laughs> yeah. 
Jake, I said it wrong. The point is, he takes some responsibility. Mm. And uh, I don't know why the mum gets so angry at the son. Mm. Yeah. Because he sends her up to the tower and says, you can't see your boyfriend anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. But of course, who she made, can. But... Who made my dad. Oh, no, he is my dad. Oh. Yeah, so this, he's quite a bad son. It's um, kind of like a soap, like, but everyone's gone mad who was <laughs> writing that soap. Mm -hmm. It's like the last episode of Biker Grove, but <laughs> that is too niche a reference. <laughs> If for even a midsummer maniacs. <laughs> and Sigur Wayne's probably not thrilled about this family just ripping off the, mm. um, a key plot point in his yeah. main text. That's true. And su sullying it with all the all the animal stuff. Yeah, there's no there's no animal sex. There is a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, extramarital hanky panky in Sigur mm -hmm. Wayne and the Green Knight, but he really resists it for as long as he can slash three days. <laughs> <laughs> About as long as Lancelot. Oh. oh. Wait a minute, I'll do it. Uh, it's a terrible family. I think yeah. it's got to be five out of five. That's the yep. worst. That's like, that is like your first, in a soap, the, the family move in, the bad family move in, and this is <laughs> yes. all the stuff that they're bringing with them. You're like, like oh, the right, okay. piece from Coronation Street. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And, and then you've got to worry there. about your farm animals, and there's all the noise, and yeah. yeah. Oh, there goes the neighborhood. They borrow all mm -hmm. your vinegar and pour it in a tub. Yeah. <laughs> What we need is Time Team to actually do an episode on the tower so that Tony Robinson can explain all of this before the commercial breaks. Yes. <laughs> and we've got three days to find out where that golden nipple shield is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all my categories. I thought it's a very mm. high scoring episode. A very, that's yeah. a very high scoring story. I, I feel yes. rather honored yes. to be scored by the Lorman. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and remember those those points cannot be exchanged for cash or prizes. Yeah, they're, but, they, oh, they're worth 0. 0.00001 penny. <laughs> well, is yeah. that in Europe or in Britain? Because Oh, yeah, you don't want British pence. Yeah, well, we're outside of the Eurozone now, so, um, mm. so the value of them is plummeting. It's right. a shilling. <laughs> so if you're outside the Eurozone, did you take part in the singing competition? Oh, yeah, Australia's in it. <laughs> Australia are genuinely part of the Eurovision Song yeah, Contest I, for some reason. I don't, I don't, I don't think it should be called Eurovision. I should just give it a name like the the Song Contest. And I'm, I'm, mm. I'm doing, I'm doing very poorly for names here. What, <laughs> just the, the anyone can be in it. Song Contest. I don't understand why it's limited to certain countries. It, it seems be weird. Global. Yeah, the global Except song contest. North America. We don't like those people. No, we don't want America in it. I'm sorry. When I said all the other countries, I meant all the other countries apart from north america mm. you've got your own thing going on but i like i don't see why like uruguay shouldn't be in it but pakistan why not let's get all the countries in or is it america. is it white countries is that what it ends up being i think genuinely it was invented by um a satellite company who wanted to give people a reason to use their satellites because eurovision is really? the name of it yeah i yeah. used yeah boring i had no idea you'd have the actual answer to this question yeah yeah. Oh, so it may as well be like the T-Mobile con song contest. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, oh, like, so it's got nothing to do with Europe. It's just the name of the country that, that provide the satellite link-up technology. Eurovision. Yes. Wow. EBU. The EBU. Oh, I'm enlightened and disappointed at the same yeah, time. Yeah. The ending of an episode of Midsummer Murders. Technically, it makes sense, but it's unsatisfying. Yeah. 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 Speaking of things that are worldwide, before we go. Mm. 
congratulations on your nomination for the comedy podcast world cup <laughs> which is slightly less a big deal than the actual world cup but still quite important it's even less of a big deal than the eurovision song contest to be honest <laughs> I no think eurovision it's a big deal. podcast contest <laughs> we're on to something hey what else do you guys have have going on anything else that you want to plug or mention besides your fantastic podcast lore men your awesome YouTube channel. Mm, well, what's happening there, James? I, what have you got I in the have, No, I've got nothing. I've got Alistair, nothing. your videos are very big in our family. We I, we already told James we have four 19 year olds. Um, wow, that's that is a lot of 19. That's imp almost impressive to have achieved that. Wow, <laughs> it's an improbable amount of. Yeah, it, I'm just trying to work it, really? work out how that is feasible from a practical point. It's triplets plus one. Mm. Uh, step. Child, so we have four 19 year olds, and they all call you because otherwise Jesus. that would have been a busy year, yes, but very yeah. busy. Uh, but they call wow. you Ginger Jesus. You can, uh, you can find my videos. I'm on Twitter at Mr. ABK, M I S T E R ABK, and my name's Alistair Beckett King. So if you if you roughly spell that correctly, Google should help you out. And your uh website is loreman.com or is it .co.uk? Hey, we splashed out for the com. Come on. <laughs> uh, I'm going to check. We actually I think it's Lorman, own uh, Lorman podcast. It's, 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 okay. Oh, sorry, what do you own? Uh, there is a Earl mentioned in a website in a episode of Midsummer, and we bought it. So <gasps> that's so cool. So we own MidsummerTravel.co.uk. That's <laughs> that's brilliant. probably actually worth quite a lot of money to yeah. some people I know. <laughs> <laughs> you hook us up, James. We'll sell it for some big bucks. Well, I think they're currently operating out of Midsummer Travel 2 Electric Boogaloo. Dot <laughs> dot org. Dot gr. They've had to buy it from Greece or something. <laughs> and you've got a Chechnyan website. Our website is lawmenpodcast.com. Yes. And Twitter, uh, you're Lorman. Nobody knows how to spell. I, oh, you're, wait, your listeners might be American. So it's L O R E M E N. That's the word we've been saying all along. It's a pun yeah, in our accent. We're not lawmen. We're lawmen. Not lawmen. 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 Like Aaron Mankey, <laughs> but with men. Not that I know. I'm not to imply that he isn't a man. <laughs> no. That wasn't my intention. We 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 understood. All right. Well, thank you very much. All of our episodes end with uh, me awkwardly meandering off. Uh, <laughs> we did the same exactly thing, and then he includes end. it as an outtake. So, <laughs> thank you so much. It's been thank so you. much fun. Absolutely. Uh, you guys are obviously busy and fantastic, and we absolutely thank you for taking the time. Oh no worries. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much for the invitation. We guarantee the sixty-five and up. Ladies will be right onto the Loreman podcast. <laughs> Excellent. That was so much fun. Oh my God, they were so funny. Thank you again to Alistair Beckett King and James Shakeshaft. The Loreman. The Loreman. They're podcast. at loremanpodcast.com. We yeah. kind of talked over each other when they were saying their url all so. of their particulars are all in the show notes they are so funny yes and absolutely i again i'm i'm such a big fan of theirs i listen to their podcast every week i'm rather honored to have been scored by the lore men for my karatic story and you did so very well i did a lot of research for that yes you did <laughs> i got good scores 
They were so much fun. So let's finish this episode off and talk about what's coming up over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. The one thing we haven't done quite yet is Best Corpse. And we have Alex, Letitia, and Trevor to choose from. Yes. I'm going Letitia because she does so well, not only when they find her, but when in the reenactment, when she gets her head carved. I'm doing something controversial. I'm saying it's a tie. Ooh. Because Alex has to lay in a very uncomfortable position on that stone. Yes. With his feet hanging off. I can't sit like that. If I lay no. like that, like at the doctor's office, I feel like my abs are going to rip open. Is like that, I'm going to be disemboweled. Is, is that what the doctor's office is like for you? Because he doesn't have stones like that when I go to see him. Oh. But we see the same doctor. Uh-oh. He doesn't take you out back? No. Oh. <laughs> treats me different apparently yeah Letitia, as you said she gets stabbed 10 times she gets a thing carved in her head the head carving is awesome and that's a great prosthetic but then trevor is underwater there's no bubbles yeah and it's not cgi it's him underwater yeah he does a great job absolutely he shoved in a butt yes (laughs) shoved in a butt You, you so i'm saying it's a tie okay never said that never done that before but I'm going with it. Okay. A quick reminder that we would love to have your ideas for Maniac merch for the John Barnaby seasons. Yes. A sketch, a sentence or two idea, whatever you want to give us. Give us some ideas. If you give me an idea and I can use it, I will send you not just one, not just two, not even three. I'm going to send you four cookie cutters because I've got... The Badger. Yes. He's drifting. Yes. I've got Sykes. Nice Sykes. With, with a little um, uh, police badge. Nice. And I have a set of um, cookie cutters for sandwich cookies. Yeah. So if you want to make your home- homemade Oreos or custard creams, one side says Midsummer and the other side says Maniacs. Nice. And you can you could just do two Maniacs if you wanted to. Or they two Midsummer. They could be all Maniac cookies. Or all Midsummer or all Maniac. And we'll post pictures of those as soon as I get around to actually making some dough. You could also even go Maniac Midsummers. Whoa. Yep. You're nuts. I am. But I, I really, I want to share these cookie cutters. I want to send them to people. So we just need some ideas. Remember, you can always find us on Twitter, Instagram, email at Midsummer Maniacs. You can also post on the Facebook groups for Midsummer and Acorn like we do. And the subreddit where we find all other maniacs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, remember to like and subscribe us on YouTube and hit the bell. Uh, now I'm going to lay some stuff on you here. There is going to be exclusive content from this episode Ooh. on YouTube Ooh. that will not be released anywhere else. Because it's um, a video? Yep. And you can't really put that out on like Stitcher? No. Right? No. no. <laughs> but the reason why we're, we're trying to encourage people to subscribe to our YouTube channel is that they have a rule that you have to have at least a thousand subscribers in order to have this kind of community page. Yep. And we just think it would be so much fun to have the community page. And we know we have more than a thousand listeners. Yep. So even if you don't listen to the podcast via YouTube, if you wouldn't mind, go over and subscribe. Get your kids to, too. So, Get all those kids. So then, all the kids. So then we can have another cool hangout place. Yep. Absolutely. That would be really fun. Next episode, season 14, episode 6, 
uh, which is episode 87 of the podcast. 87. Night it, of the Stag. Night of the Stag. A whole lot called, of shaking going on. It should just be called the problematic episode. Oh, it's problematic. But we'll have fun with it. Yep, we will indeed. We will. I'm looking forward to it. All right, until next time. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. I hope that is a country from Tintin and not a real country. I think you've just added barnacles. Uh, Which one is it? You've added a vowel to a real place, right? Um, but I, th- I don't know. What is the name of the state that fires the rocket to the moon in Tintin? No one knows. I don't know. Oh, that that's place a good one. in Tintin. Yeah, I think Tish's Eastern European state.